pedestals that they never were given. They are human beings. That's in the New Testament we see that. We see that gifted people are often put on certain pedestals. And Paul, in one particular city, as he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, he ripped his clothing apart and he said, why are you bringing these sacrifices and worships to us? We are human beings just like you are. You see, when you don't know who you are and what Jesus has done for you, the access that you have, you often, you, you suddenly begin to think, Yo-Yo has a closer access to God than I have. We begin to think, oh, the, that person and those selected few have something that God gives them that I don't have myself. And what I am doing in this series is teaching you that is the lie of the devil, that you have every access that I have to God, you have it as well. Every gift that God has given me, you have access to that as well. He is my father, he is your father. I am adopted in God's family like you are adopted. That is the good news of the gospel. Every prophecy never had its origin in the human will. In other words, everything that the prophets, everything that the, the writers of the Old Testament wrote, it wasn't out of their will. How did it happen? Peter teaches us. They spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were inspired by the Spirit of God to record and write the things that God wanted us to understand about Him, about people, and about how, how, how much we need him. Do you know what fascinates me? If that's the case, why does God tell us all of the embarrassing parts of his people? The stories that we are ashamed to speak about. Why does God leave those things in there? That shows us, that shows us that God, he's a God of truth. He wants us to know that he can use messed up people. He wants you and me to know he can use people that have a history. He wants you and I to know that someone like Manasseh in the Bible, Manasseh was one of the most evil kings that existed. He sacrificed his children to idol worship. I mean, you name it and think about what is the most evil thing someone can do. Manasseh did it. Manasseh is, is an example of when someone who has deviated from the laws of God, was someone who has become an opposition to God, who blasphemes God, when they humble themselves and repent, you are not too far from the saving hand of the living God. The Bible says that he had such arrogance that he went into the temple and he sacrificed in the temple of God. The priests, they got together, they begged him, the priest of God, they begged him, Manasseh, what are you doing? What you're doing is blasphemous. And he, in his arrogance, he rejected their advice and he went ahead in the temple of the living God. He sacrificed wicked things. This was the Manasseh. So God, he sent the armies to arrest him. They put a hook in his nose and dragged him away. The Bible says that in his desperation, he finally humbled himself and he cried out to God. And God heard his cry. That messes me up. God heard the cry of someone like that, and yet we stand here arrogant, puffed up, and we cancel certain people out thinking that they're not worthy for the gospel, that they're not worthy, or they're too messed up. They're into so many things. That is the lie of the devil. The good news is that the gospel, the good news is that the gospel, this thing that Jesus did, is available for all flesh, for all people who would humble themselves. So we see 
the Holy Spirit's role in inspiring Scripture in the Old Testament. The third area that we see the work of the Holy Spirit is in the nation of Israel. <laughs> the only nation we see distinctive operations of the Spirit was on the nation of Israel. The Spirit of God we see in the narrative and the history from the formation of this nation, God said, I didn't choose you, come on, I didn't choose you because there was anything special about you. Do you know why God chose this particular nation that started from one man and became a family and then became a nation? He said, I chose you because you are the weakest, the smallest. I chose you to display my glory. The reason why God chose that particular nation is because they were the weakest. They were not the most powerful nation. God didn't choose them because they had anything within themselves to be favored by God, but God displayed his favor on unworthy people to display how big and how God he is. And we see that the Spirit of God in the Old Testament, in the nation of Israel, set upon certain individuals to accomplish his purposes. The Spirit of God came on Joseph, and Joseph was an ordinary man like you and I. But when there was a problem, the Spirit of God empowered him to interpret the dreams of the king, which led to him being at the place where God wanted him to, do, to be. We see the Spirit of God descending and filling Moses. He receives the divine revelation of the exact uh, blueprint of the tabernacle that he wanted him to build. We see the Spirit of God descending on Othaniel and Gideon and Jephthah and Samson in the book of Judges. These were people that the Spirit of God would suddenly empower to achieve deliverance for the nation of Israel when they cried out to God. We see the Spirit of God on kings like King David. King David was filled with the Spirit of God, and we see him, for example, playing the, the, the harp, and as he played, evil spirits would depart Saul, King Saul. We see him having this anointing. He said, I would rip uh, the lambs that, that he used, when he used to be a shepherd, he would rip them out of the lion's mouth. He would tear the lion's mouth. He said, I fought with the bears, and we know the story of him and Goliath. That wasn't David being strong. That was because the Spirit of God empowered him to accomplish certain purposes. We see the activity of the Spirit in individual lives in certain Israelites. They were able to do things that they were not able to do in their own strength. Remember this. When I'm talking about the Holy Spirit, this is a key point for you to remember. What we see is the consensus of Scripture is people did what they normally cannot do because they had the power of the Holy Spirit. They had supernatural strength, like Samson defeating an entire army with the with with jawbone of the lion. <laughs> we had people that had supernatural wisdom, like Daniel. The, the, the word on the street, the reputation he had is this man is able to solve difficult problems. you got to have God with you to succeed in an environment that is set up for you to fail. And we think that we are having it hard and we cannot, you know, yo-yo, it's very hard to live for God. Like, I just, I can't be different. I can't just, you know, I have to do what everyone else is doing. Otherwise, I won't get promoted. Otherwise, I won't get accepted. Otherwise, I won't belong in these groups. But we have a, a testimony of people who are in the same position as we are. Actually, I would say and argue much more harder position, yet they dared 
to trust the God that was with them. Daniel, throughout his entire life in the kingdom of Babylon, captured at a young age, as a little boy, captured by an evil king, captured to be trained in the ways of the Babylonians, trained in ways that are contrary to the ways of God, yet he was always in the king's palace. He had co-workers, come on, if you want to talk about work problems, (laughs) read the book of Daniel. He had work colleagues that were in the occult and witchcraft that were constantly conspiring, conspiring for his downfall. Did they plan work? No. They threw him in the lion's den at one point. Their plan seemed like it worked, but God came down and shut the mouth of the lions because God was with Daniel. God was with him. No matter what people conspired, the Spirit of God was with him. So we see this function of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, and now let's go to the function of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There is 400 years of silence between Malachi and Matthew, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. 400 years of no new revelations, no new prophets like Ezekiel, Jeremiah, that had and and uttered the word of the living God. They gave a, a now word and gave direction for the people of Israel. Nothing like that. 400 years of silence, and all of a sudden, when the right time came for the Son of the living God to come, as as Galatians tells us, the appointed time, when it was the right time for Jesus to come upon the earth, all of a sudden, from nothing, we see an intense activity of the Holy Spirit. We see him moving and filling people. This hasn't happened in many years. We see him uh, speaking prophecies. We see him are doing all sorts of wonderful work. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit when Mary came to visit her, and she began to prophesy. We see Mary himself, herself being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. We see Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, when he finally came in agreement with what the angel, the message the angel gave him, His mouth opened up and then the Holy Spirit fell upon him and he began to prophesy the future of his son, John the Baptist. He said, you will be my son. You will be the one that prepares the way for for Jesus, the son of God. And if you read it, it's fascinating, the gospel of Luke. He began to speak of the destiny of his son because the spirit of God descended upon him. We see Simeon, who was in the temple when Jesus was given, uh, when Jesus was already birthed at, at the age of eight years old to fulfill the entire law. At the age, uh, sorry, at eight days old, they take Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, and Simeon is is there. The Bible tells us in the Gospel of Luke that Simeon had been waiting for the salvation that was going to come. The Bible says that the Spirit of God revealed it to him that he will not die before he sees the salvation of the living God. And in he comes. Jesus is being carried by Mary and Joseph to the temple of God. And the Bible says that Simeon was in the temple and he was moved by the Spirit to go into the area where Mary and Joseph were. And the Holy Spirit showed him the salvation of Israel and the salvation of the Gentiles. And he began to prophesy on this boy. He said, this boy will will cause the downfall and the rising of many in Israel. And he began to prophesy. And there was also another prophetess named Anna that was in the temple that was also showing what Jesus was going to do. 
all of a sudden we see an activity of the work of the Spirit in the new covenant. The second thing that we see in the New Testament is the Spirit in the life of Jesus. From the conception to the death of Jesus, we see how Jesus was empowered by the Spirit of God in his humanity. Jesus' birth begins with a a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, and she was able to give birth without having natural relations with Joseph. We see that Jesus began his ministry by reading Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 to 2. The beginning of the ministry of Jesus is him reading, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And you know the passage, and he keeps going. But he began his ministry in that. We see that before he did anything, he was baptized, and the Spirit of God descended upon him in the baptism under John the Baptist. We see that Jesus then was led by the Spirit into the desert for the temptation. We see that Jesus taught, he healed, he cast out demons by the Spirit. Jesus said himself, I, you know, no one can do this, these things besides by the finger of God. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. Let's listen to what Peter said in Acts chapter 10 when he went to witness to the house of Cornelius, a Gentile convert. He was a Gentile man who doesn't know much about Jesus. It's a supernatural story, but the Spirit of God says to Peter, Peter, Two men are going to come, and they're going to, they're going to ask you to come with them. Go with them. He spoke to him in, the, in, a, in a dream. So these men come, and Peter goes with them. And as he's witnessing to this man named Cornelius and his family, he's telling them about who Jesus was. This is the testimony that he had about Jesus. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So we see the Spirit's activity in the life of Jesus. Next, we see the Spirit's activity in the life of the church. So Jesus had to finish his work for the Holy Spirit to come down. Jesus said, unless I ascend, he will not come. Let's go to John chapter 16, verse 7 to 8. John 16, verse 7 to 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is for your advantage, this is Jesus speaking, that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper... I love that. The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Notice that. He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, guys, it's better for you that I go away so that the Holy Spirit can come. What we see in the teaching of Jesus about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit is that he has personality. He's not an impersonal force. You know, when we talk about God the Father, we understand the Father as having personhood, even though God is spirit. God doesn't have a body like we do. God is spirit. But when we say God the Father, we can automatically in our mind say, Yes, he has personality. When we say God the Son, it makes sense. But when we say God the Holy Spirit, that's when we get confused. Oh, if he's spirit, that means he's just a force or he's just a power. No, he's not just a power. He's not just a force. Jesus said when he comes, giving personal pronoun to the Holy Spirit. That means that a light cannot be referred to as a he. A light cannot have personality. But we see the Holy Spirit having personhood. 
is not an impersonal force. The Holy Spirit can be sinned against, for example. He can be grieved. You can't grieve a power. <laughs> you can only grieve a person. So we see that he has personhood. We see the role of the Holy Spirit according to the teaching of Jesus. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is that he will convict the world. He will convict the world in three areas. He will convict the world, those who do not know Jesus, he will convict the world of sin to begin with. The word convict has two meanings. The first one is the legal term to pronounce a judicial verdict. The second, which I think is, is what uh, the proper usage of this term is, is the act of convincing. So the role of the Holy Spirit is not the role of preachers. We think it's the role of yo-yo to convince that person to become a believer. I have nothing that I will say to you that will convince you anything. The person that opens the eye of the unbeliever like he opened my eyes in 2007 is the spirit of the living God. When he comes, he is the one that brings conviction of sin in the unbeliever's heart. He is the one that brings, like the prophet Nathan in the Old Testament. Do you remember what Nathan did? He goes to David who has just slept with someone's wife and then murdered her husband and one year he doesn't go into the presence of God, he doesn't repent, he doesn't do anything about it, he just pretends like I can just go on with my life without dealing with, with the creator and, and God sends forth Nathan. Nathan, I love Nathan because he doesn't compromise. Nathan is not one of those people pleasers kind of prophet. Nathan is not one of those like I'm gonna make you feel good so you can come back to me. No, he's not one of those kind of people. Nathan tells it as it is. Nathan tells the truth. And he goes into the presence of David and he tells him a story. And then David is outraged about a man in this story that robbed someone else's sheep, that took one lamb of another poor man. David was fuming with anger. How dare he do that? He deserves the death penalty. While he has done a grievous thing, he's placing judgment on someone else. That's, that's humanity. That's how we are. We often don't see the plank in our own eye, but we're quick to spot the speck in other people's eyes. But do you know what I love? <laughs> Nathan looks at him in the eye and says to him, you are that man. To the king, he could have been killed for that. You know, when we talk about the spirit of God convicting the world, that's what we're talking about. That sense of him helping us to see the condition of our hearts. That we're not believing in Jesus. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. The second area is righteousness. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness, that their self-righteousness is not sufficient and that God's righteous standards is unattainable in humans' own strength. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Unless God opens your eye, you're gonna be living your life thinking that if you do certain things, that you can be in right standing before God. But the role of the Holy Spirit is to show you and I that our righteousness is filthy before God and that righteousness is rather a gift of God. You know, Jesus did this while he was on the earth. That's why he said he's gonna give you someone like me. It's better that I go. Jesus, while he was on the earth, the Pharisees hated him because he convicts them always. Right to their face. You hypocrites. <laughs> you liars. Outside, you seem like you've got it all together, but inside of you, you're filled with dead bones. You're filled with hypocrisy and deceit. You do everything that you do is for your selfish ambition. Jesus confronted them. 
Jesus was showing us what it is like for someone who is filled with the power of God to live out this life called Christianity. The third area is judgments. The Spirit convicts people of their false judgments of Christ. Satan is already judged. His destiny, his condemnation is already decided. But we see that the role of the Holy Spirit is to show the world of the judgments that they've made about God to convict them of that. So the Holy Spirit would convict unbelievers of their condition to see their need for salvation. He then regenerates the sinner. That means he gives new birth, new spiritual birth to the sinner. That was the role of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. On the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered waiting for the promised gift of the Father. And we see that as they were waiting, the Spirit of God descended. He fell upon all people. This was a privilege that the Old Testament people did not have. Now in this new covenant, we see the Spirit of God empowering all the people. We then see him empowering the disciples and the apostles to be bold witnesses for Jesus, giving them all sorts of gifts that makes ordinary people do extraordinary things. When you read the book of Acts, it's fascinating. They see a lame man from birth. They say to him, arise and walk. And the Bible says that the man gets up and he begins to walk. They see they do things that they could not do in their own strength because the Spirit of God had filled them. They heal the sick. They cast out demons. They spread the gospel. They discern the direction of the Holy Spirit. The apostles are used to shape also the teachings of the new covenant. So the Old Testament writing was closed, the canon of scripture, but we see the role of the Holy Spirit. As he worked in the Old Testament prophets, now he's working through the apostles to bring about the teachings of the new covenant. Let's go to Acts chapter 8. Verse 18 to 21, quickly. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given on the laying on of the hands, of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought that you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. What Simon did is when he saw the power of the Holy Spirit operating in, in, in the believers that were there, when he saw that when hands were laid on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when he saw the things that were being done in that city, he was a sorcerer himself. He was a witch doctor himself. When he saw that, he's like, I want that ability. What do I have to do to get it? Because that's how the occultic works, isn't it? Satan makes them pay through whatever means to get the things that he wants, the powers that he can give them. And he thought he can apply the same principle that he applies in the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But Peter looked at him and he rebuked him and he said, you thought you can buy the gift of God with money. He offered money to purchase the free gift of God. Do you know why the gifts of God are free? It's because we can never afford payment to receive those gifts. Therefore, that's why it's called a gift. But he said, this ability, this Holy Spirit coming and filling the person is not bought. It is rather received. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 38 to 39. Peter replied that the people heard the teaching and the preaching of Peter, and they were cut to the heart. That's what the Bible says. They were convicted. These unbelievers, most of them were probably there condemning Jesus, saying, crucify him, crucify him days earlier. 
And right now, they're standing and they're hearing the message of Peter. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as he's speaking, they were cut to the heart. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, my friends. And as they were standing there, they said, what must we do to be saved? And he said, after he told him this, Peter replied, repent, repent, turn from your wicked ways. Acknowledge that your way, your path is sinful, that it's an offense to the living God, that you've broke, broken his laws and his commands, that you are going on the path to distraction. Repent, turn from your way. You're going this direction now. Turn and begin to trust God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Number one is the work of the gospel through Jesus Christ, the salvation that comes through Jesus. And then look at this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. The what? This is a promise, my friends. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. That's us. This happened 2,000 years ago. He's talking about us. This promise is also for us. The only way that we can have the Holy Spirit is by receiving him, just like salvation is a gift. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our life is a gift. Let's go to Galatians 3, 2 to 5. This is what Paul said to the church of Galatians. He said, who has bewitched you? Who has blinded you? This is the question he had for them. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, by performance, by obeying certain things, or by believing what you heard? Next verse. Are you so foolish after beginning by the means of the Spirit you are now trying to finish by the means of the flesh. You began right, you believed in the power of the Holy Spirit, but now you're trying to attain what God can do by your performance. Have you experienced so much in vain if really what it was in vain? Next verse. So again, I ask you, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? You see, my friends, we receive the Spirit of God. We receive His gifts by believing and not because we, we did anything. The last point I finish on this, Holy Spirit in us. We've seen the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. We've seen the Holy Spirit in the New Testament and how He worked in the early church and the life of Jesus. But this is the glory that we have through Christ is that the Holy Spirit is now in us. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. I baptize you with water for repentance. This is John the Baptist speaking. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. We need to understand, number one, that the gift and the treasure of the Holy Spirit, this fellowship of the Holy Spirit, is only through Jesus Christ. This is one of the riches that Jesus came to give you and I. Jesus baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist saw it himself. He said, I, I have the baptism of water. That's me. That's yo-yo. <laughs> I can only baptize you in water on the, on the confession of your mouth. But there is another who can baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and that's Jesus. He's greater than I, and he's the one that gives you this gift. We cannot buy this gift. We cannot work for this gift. The Holy Spirit is given to all who have received Christ. You know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit's role in the believer, it is many. I've spoken on the, on the subject of the Holy Spirit for 21 weeks before. <laughs> so I'm summing this in the next five minutes as I finish. The main thing that we need to know is that without the Holy Spirit, Christianity, living uh, this Christian life is impossible. 
if you think I have received salvation, God, I don't need anything else. Now I'm going to walk this Christian life by my own ability, by my own strength. You have miserably misunderstood. No one can live this righteous life that God desires of us by our own strength. That's what even Jesus told his apostles, do not do anything. Do not be my witnesses. Wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. He is our helper to help us live for God and also to be his witnesses. So the first point I have in you in these last few moments is we have a helper. John 14, verse 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. And he will be with you forever the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying that as he was with the disciples, he's saying, I'm giving you another, one that is like me. (laughs) As I was with you, he will be with you, but he will be with you forever. That's why Jesus said, it's better that I go because when the spirit of God comes, Jesus in his physical body was at one place, at one time, with the people that were there, they were the ones that were benefiting from his ministry. But the role of the Holy Spirit is he's with all believers at the same time, working in all people. So Jesus is saying, as I am with you, he will come to be with you. If you want to really think about this in a logical manner, how was Jesus with the disciples? Every day he was with them. Wherever they went, you know, the, 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 the current series on the Chosen series, when you watch it, it brings life and meaning. You know, it shows you what life was like with Jesus walking with him. But he was there to disciple them, to teach them every step of the way. When they were fighting and bickering about who's more important, he teaches them. When there's someone needed to healing, he, he shows them how to do it. In the same way, the Holy Spirit will come alongside us and he will help us. We have a helper. Number two, we have a teacher. John 14, 26. But the advocate, counsel is another word for advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. Friends, everything that we do in our lives is only possible because someone else taught us. Think about it. We can only drive because someone has taught us to drive or we've seen it somewhere. A teacher is vital in having the ability to do something. That's why we spend most of our years learning in school, because we need to be uh, taught to do certain things. From the moment we're conceived into this world, as parents, I have two children, we teach them everything. We teach them how to walk. We taught them how to eat. We taught them how to go toilet. We teach them everything. A teacher is vital to help us to learn how to do things that we do not know how to do. And a good teacher not just shows the theory, but he shows or she shows the practical side of things. Well, this is what Jesus is saying. We have the Holy Spirit available to teach us. He will teach you how to apply righteousness. He will teach you how to walk for God. He will teach you how to live for God. He will teach you how to love that person that you find really hard to love. The Holy Spirit is not just on Sunday gatherings. Some movements think that the holy place is the building. (laughs) I had a friend many years ago, he was swearing at me and doing all sorts of things outside of the building, but when we got to the building that was the church, the person said to me, I can't swear now because it's a holy place that I'm stepping in. But the teaching of the New Testament is that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the mistake that we have. So we think in church, I have to get my act right. We think we can't say anything. We can't because God is here, but he's not in your workplace, but he's not in your university, but he's not in your, in, when you gather with your friends. The spirit of God is right there. And he will teach you how to live for him in your workplace. He will teach you how to love that person that is giving you a hard time in your workplace. He will teach you how to put up with that person that is constantly conspiring things about you. He will teach you how to apply yourself in your education. The spirit of God is not detached from your life. He's not a one, once a week kind of spirit. He's with us every step of the way. He will teach you in your marriage to navigate through and how to love your spouse, how to love your kids. If you humble yourself and listen to his voice, if you do not shut or stifle his voice, he will lead you. I have seen this in my marriage. I testify. <laughs> if you're married, you'll know what I'm saying. When I speak to my wife in an inappropriate manner, if I humble myself, the Spirit of God teaches me that I need to humble myself and say sorry. It's only my pride that gets in the way, but the Spirit of God, He will remind you of the things that I have taught you. 1 Corinthians 2, 6-14. We can get Amelia to come up as well. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. Listen to this very carefully. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no, no, uh, and what, sorry, no ear has heard, and what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Paul is telling us the rulers of this age, the, those who are really the smart ones, the intellectuals, those who are deemed to be the most, uh, those that can comprehend the most stuff, he's saying those missed what I was doing on the earth because they didn't have a knowledge of God. They didn't have this knowledge, but he's saying I will give it to those who love me. Verse 10, what does it say? These are the things God has revealed to us by the Spirit. <laughs> Listen to this. He keeps going. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows, a th the thoughts of, uh, who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What Paul is teaching us here, if I were to come now to Jacob and say, Jacob, this, I know what you're thinking in your heart, I'll be lying unless God gave me this divine ability to have discernment. But we as human beings do not have the capacity to know the thoughts of the human heart. I can observe Jacob, I can observe his speech, I can observe his, his, his mannerism, and I can make certain conclusions, but I don't know what's in Jacob's heart. That's what Paul is saying here. The only person that can reveal to me the heart of what Jacob is thinking is Jacob himself. So as the human heart, as the human mind can only be known if the person reveals it, in the same way, we can only know the thoughts of God, the ways of God, when the Spirit of God opens our eyes. For he searches this, the things of God. And he keeps on saying this, verse 12, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. 
are finishing with this passage. Listen carefully. This is what we speak. Not in words taught to us by human wisdom, but in words taught to us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Verse 14 is very important. I'll finish with this. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God and considers, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. Listen to me very carefully. I'll finish on this point. The Holy Spirit, do you know what His role is in your life? His role is to illuminate, to give understanding, to give light to the things of God. He's here in our life to switch on the lights in our mind and in our hearts. Have you ever had an amazing teacher that helped you to get something? Like you've, you've been taught accounting hundreds of times by different teaching, but you sit down one conversation with Abel, you're like, whoa, I get it. There's certain teachers, they can just articulate some stuff and he gets, this, the light goes on. Like, whoa, I get that. I understand it now. I can apply it. Do you know that's the role of the Holy Spirit in our life? He illuminates the things of God, the work of God. He gives us understanding of the things of God. The only way we can comprehend and understand what God has freely given us is through the Holy Spirit. But the person without the Holy Spirit, without this gift that you have available, you have access to through Christ, without this treasure, this riches that we have in Jesus, the person cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to them. That's what Paul teaches us. They'll say things like, you mean you're going to forgive that person even after what they've done to you? You need to plot the destruction. You need to revenge that person. That's what you need to do. What's this nonsense that you're going to forgive that person? I'll never forget this Christian man who lost his brother because he was murdered by this cop who, was, who, was, uh, who went to his house and just murdered him. He went into the courtroom and he testified one thing. He said, Your Honor, can I do something? Can I say something? And the whole courtroom was quiet. This is the victim. This is the brother of the one that his brother has just been murdered by this cop. And he says, can I forgive her? And he says, I know I'm asking too much, but can I go and hug this lady? And the judge was astonished and he allowed it. He made news headline worldwide. The things of God are only understood by those who have the spirit of God. But to the world, they're foolishness. You're in the middle of a crisis, you're, you're, and you're saying, let's pray. <laughs> What's prayer going to do? What's this nonsense about prayer? The things of God are foolishness to the person without the spirit. What do you mean that you're waiting for marriage and they'll mock you? There's a girl right there, bro. Like she wants you. What do you mean that you're waiting for marriage? The things, of the, the things of God are foolishness to the world. They make a mock out of it. But to the one with the Spirit of God, they can comprehend the truths revealed about God. As you close your eyes, I want to bring you to this place today. Adam and Eve 
desire to have knowledge that they ought not to have. And so the curse came. But the Holy Spirit, however, gives us the ability to know God and give us insight into the knowledge we ought to know. That's the reverse of the curse. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life and in my life, He wants to give us this knowledge of God that was taken from us because of the curse. The Holy Spirit's role in our life is for you to know Him better, to know what Jesus has done for you, to open your eyes so you're not living miserably, so you're not aiming, running around aimlessly, so you're not running after the, the patterns of this world. The Holy Spirit wants to open your eyes. Church, would you let Him today? He wants to guide you in your life. He wants to guide you into all truth. He, he is like, a, you know, in our world today, I was thinking about this, what would we do without a GPS? We rely heavily on this global positioning system. We are totally, totally reliant on it. <laughs> we also have God's positioning system, the Spirit of God. Jesus said, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. This is promise, my friend. This is not wish, wishful thinking. He will help us to navigate through life's decisions. He will navigate us through the roadblocks in life, the dead ends, the wrong directions. He will redirect us back to life, back to the path of God. But today I want you to know that you have access to him, but he is like a dove. That was the analogy that we see in the New Testament. He's gentle. He's gentle. He doesn't go against your will, but he works in partnership with you. My prayer is that today, that you would invite him into your heart, that you would invite him into your life and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I want you to teach me. I want you to open my eyes to understand what you have freely given me, what I have in Christ, the treasures that I have in Jesus. Spirit of God, open my mind. I don't want to live around, uh, live again, Holy Spirit, empty, living in, in things that do not bring fulfillment, but I want to live in the promises that you've given me. I want to live in the inheritance that I have through you. Spirit of God, come on, let that be your prayer, church. Say, Spirit of God, I, I want you to lead me. I want you to guide me. I invite you in my life. I invite you in my life. Spirit of God, fill me with your power. I want you to go with me in my workplace, into my marriage, with my friendship. Spirit of God, I give you access into my heart, into my mind. Teach me how to live for you. Teach me how to stand out of the crowd. Teach me what you taught your disciples, what you taught those people that did great things for your kingdom. Teach me what you taught them. Spirit of God, I surrender to you today. I don't want to run anymore, Holy Spirit, but I yield myself to you. I yield my emotions. I yield my thoughts, my mind. I allow you, Holy Spirit, to work, to work in me, to change my mind, to change my thinking. I want to think like you think. I want to have a God's perspective on every area of my life. You know, my friend, God wants to be involved in every part of our life. In every major decision and minor decision, God wants to be involved. And we have this access. Not everyone has this access, but we have this access by Jesus Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. A treasure that Simon 
said, how much do I need to pay to have this? We have divine wisdom, discernment. We have the gifts of the Spirit readily available to you today. Open your heart and say, Holy Spirit, he's gentle. He will come when he's invited. Holy Spirit, come into my heart. I invite you in my world. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence right now. We thank you for the work that you're doing. I pray for those of you, for those who have not received salvation in this room. Holy Spirit, that you will do the convicting in the heart of that person. That you will show that person their need for salvation. That salvation is a gift and not something that can be earned. That righteousness is a gift and not something that can be earned. And I pray that you do your work right now, Holy Spirit bringing conviction of righteousness, sin, and judgment. And I also pray for that person who has had received you, Lord Jesus, who has salvation, but is trying to live this Christian life in their own strength, in their own ability. I pray right now that you would give illumination to the understanding of that person, that you would enlighten that person to know that apart from you, we cannot, we cannot live for you that we need your help, Holy Spirit. May we surrender our pride, our arrogance. May we surrender our reasons for thinking we can live this life without you, Holy Spirit. But Lord Jesus, as you taught us, we have a helper. We have one to help us, to lead us, to guide us, to train us in righteousness, to help us apply your word in our hearts, in our mind. Spirit of God, we welcome you. We invite you. Help us, help us to live for you, to live for you victoriously. Lord, bless the rest of this week, we pray, and the rest of this day, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 Awesome. Thank you so much, guys, for joining me today and for coming uh, to hear the Word of God. There's refreshments. I was told by the, by the team there's refreshments, so make sure you have refreshments, and we'll see you next week. God